Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. This is Jonathan Siegley, and today I am joined by Tate Frazier, who some may remember was an intern at Inside Carolina, but since then has been employed by the likes of ESPN and currently is at the Ringer Podcast Network. I guess just the Ringer as a whole, really. But you've got a couple podcasts on there. The one that I always listen to is One Shining Pod with Tate and Mark Titus. So really wanted to say, man, thanks for taking the time to come on and talk with me about UNC basketball today. Hey, Jonathan. Appreciate it, man. It's uh, it's weird. It's sort of come full circle. You know, I miss Inside Carolina. I'm still in the message boards every once in a while. I like to peruse around, of course, like most Carolina fans. So good to be back, and it's good to talk about Carolina basketball. It feels like home. Well, luckily, Carolina has had a pretty good season to start with. I don't think anyone saw a 9-1 and record coming out the gates. So what have you been thinking about this one so far? And we can start with the obvious if you want, say, Luke May, but really go from there, man. What, what have you seen so far? I will say this. The 9-1 start did not shock me. The way that they're playing right now did not shock me. The way that this team has come together did not shock me. And that's because they've got a culture. I mean, Carolina is a place that's built on, you know, providing a culture and obviously what Coach Roy does and and everything they put in place. And when you have guys like Joel and Theo come back, I think that it keeps everything together. I know my biggest concern going into the season was, obviously, the best big man is Luke May. And if you told me that in March of last year, that's a scary proposition because I expected Tony to come back, obviously Tony Bradley. But uh, Luke has been just absolutely incredible, and I think it just goes to show that if you really are a part of this program and you really buy into everything they're telling you, you can really develop as a basketball player. And Luke, uh, obviously, I mean, I've heard comparisons of Tyler Hansborough, and that's kind of the first name that pops in my head. And it's not because he gets all the calls like Hansborough did, which is uh, (laughs) one of my favorite things about him. I wish Isaiah Hicks would have gotten the calls that Luke made gets this year, but Luke has been awesome. I've been so happy to see him kind of turn this whole thing around and Right now, I mean, as much as people joke about it, I think in the national media, I mean, even on my podcast, we make a lot of jokes about Luke May being in the National Player of the Year conversation, but he really is. Like, he actually is in the, in the conversation right now, and that's pretty crazy to think about because you, you would think Joel would be the guy, but it's turned out it's Luke. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's basically a lock right now for first-team All-ACC at the very least. Oh, at the very least, definitely, definitely. And I think the biggest thing with Luke that I was concerned about was you know, when he goes against, you know, more athletic forwards, you know, especially in ACC play, what will happen? And I think the one game that we saw him kind of get checked a little bit was the Michigan State game. And to be quite honest, like, I think that was more of the butterflies of the moment and knowing that he and Kenny are actually the guys right now. I mean, the two of them pretty much carry this team and they'll take them as far as they can go. I mean, we have the pieces with Joel and Theo kind of as the base guys. But when Kenny and Luke are hitting shots and they're actually – you know, scoring at the rate that they're scoring at. The sky's kind of the limit. I mean, I know a lot of people are saying that 9-1 and is sort of a farce with this team, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid, but I, I've really started to buy in on this team, especially Luke. To me, Carolina is just shooting the ball from the outside like no team that I can remember. I mean, the last time was probably 9 when they had yeah. Danny Green and those guys on the outside just bombing Wayne threes. Ellington, yep. Oh, yeah. That's the last time that I think Carolina had three true threats on the outside. And this year, they've obviously got Luke, Barry, Kenny. And then once Cameron Johnson comes back, you've got him stretching the floor as well. And I'm not going to lie. When I saw Jaleek Felton, I know it was Western Carolina, and I don't want to get my hopes up over Western Carolina. But when I saw Jaleek shooting the ball like that, 
it got me really excited. I, I think that their whole – I don't know. The team, the way it's built, can be like a box and one. I mean, I enjoy watching Sterling Manley surrounded by four guys who can score and slash on the perimeter. Uh, that's probably my favorite lineup I've seen this year from them. But there's a lot of guys that can shoot the ball really well. And I don't. it doesn't put the pressure on Joel because I thought the biggest thing with this team this year was Joel was going to have to be the guy to carry them from the outside. And it's been, you know, kind of the opposite of that. I mean, it's it's been basically Kenny sets the tone from the outside and from there the team kind of rolls, which has been fun to watch. It has, man. And then it sounds as if all these years of Roy just getting after Theo have started to sink in because he's actually <laughs> driving to the basket and being, I think, the, the most creative player on offense for the Heels so far. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I kind of making this joke, who's going to have the worst three-point percentage this season? Trey Duvall, the point guard from Duke, or Theo Pinson. They're both, Aww. you know, right around the right around the 20% mark. For, is for is the he season. the 20%? I think he might be closer to the 10, man. Yeah, it's a bit of a struggle. And I mean, I love Theo to death. He's probably one of my favorite Carolina players. Just, you know, what he brings to the table as far as setting the tone for how the team handles itself. I mean, he's a great guy. I remember I was actually, funny enough, when Theo committed, I was with Inside Carolina with former IC member Deanna Kunovac and Terrell. We were there at, at Westland when he committed. And that whole day, I mean, we, we had heard Georgetown, we had heard Indiana. And as soon as he put the hat on North Carolina, you know, he was just like, yeah, that's where I'm supposed to be, of course. Like, it's a no-brainer for me. I love the state of North Carolina. I love North Carolina program. And that's where I'm going. And as soon as that happened, I was like, this guy has a special place in my heart forever. And he sort of delivered on all of it. I mean, they, they made fun of Jay Williams at the McDonald's All-American game. You know, their whole class with he and Joel and Justin, I mean, they pretty much changed. You know, they obviously, we've heard this a lot, they weathered the storm of the whole NCAA cloud. But I'm just glad they get to, you know, reap the benefits of that, and especially with this team this year. I feel like Theo and Joel are definitely the faces of the program. And I don't know. I'm just happy for Theo. I, I don't really care if he breaks threes all the time. I, I just enjoy having him on the team. Absolutely. And I think it's also been fun to watch that the team, they won rings last year, but the hunger's still there. I mean, they have not let up at all. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. Like, I actually, you know, I talked to Joel at the end of the season, you know, just kind of like catch up with him a little bit. I mean, I was like, you know, the funny thing about it is Carolina has never done the back-to-back thing, you know. You know, Duke's been able to do it before, but it kind of irks me that we've never done that. And he was like, yeah, that's the plan. (laughs) <laughs> so for for them to have that confidence is uh, pretty cool. I mean, some might call it hubris, but knowing Joel and how he plays, he was dead serious when he said that to you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think <laughs> that the way they've carried themselves since they won a championship, and I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that Florida team in 2006 when they came back. They all came back in 2007. Obviously, Justin didn't come back. As much as I wish he would have, I'm glad he went with the first round pick. He deserved it. Definitely. I don't know. There's just something there's just something about this team that it kinda just strikes a chord with me. I'm not saying that I think that they're the favorite to repeat, but I, I do say that if I was any team in the tournament, it's it's not a team I would want to face. That's no, for sure. I, absolutely yeah. Carolina is gonna be a tough out. But I wanted to talk with you about kind of the national landscape. Obviously you and yeah. Titus, you know, you guys cover everybody on your pod. And one thing that you guys kind of is some shtick, but I think there's some truth to it, too, is you guys bring up the power rankings and really what teams are probably playing the best ball right now. So when you're looking at the college basketball landscape, who really jumps out to you this early in the season as being some teams that, you know, are that threat to go to a final four or even possibly win the national championship? I think the the funny thing about the power rankings is I'm not sure the difference between the just the normal rankings and what makes them powerful. So I think that's why we make a little joke <laughs> about that. I, I don't know how they became so powerful. I don't know if they got infused with power at some point. I don't know. 
someone else smarter than me can figure that out. But, uh, yeah, as we look around, I mean, I kind of – it's a little bit of the usual suspects, but it also – I think the biggest thing that Carolina has in its favor is I don't think there is one dominant team. I think at the beginning of the year, everyone wanted to point to Duke. I think Duke was – deserved that last year a little bit. Obviously, it didn't quite work out, of course. We all know that. But I think this year's team sort of got to carry that over. It's like, well, look at their front line, Bagley, Carter, then Grayson's back. But I don't think that they're – like, I don't think they're the one team that's going to be the dominant team. I think the team that – I believe is the number one team in the country is Villanova. And I know that hurts Tar Heel fans, uh, their hearts to hear that a little bit. But just a little. Um, yeah, just a little bit. And I mean, honestly, for me, the Chris Jenkins thing, him being there last year for the tournament, him being in the championship game, it honestly made me not hate Villanova as much as I thought I ever would. I thought they would always stick with me. So I will say that a little sidebar. But yeah, Villanova, you go down the line. I mean, Jalen Brunson, who is one of the best point guards in the country. Phil Booth, a guy that everyone remembers, I mean, he lit us up in that national title game. And then Mikel Bridges, who if you haven't watched him play, he's basically Kerry Kittles 2.0. And, I mean, that Villanova team is very scary. DiVincenzo, the big ragu off the bench for them, he's been great. He tore up, you know, Virginia last year for people that remember that game. I think the second best team in the country, and I think this is what speaks to how good Carolina is. I mean, I really do believe it is Michigan State. I know that they lost to Duke, so it's hard for me to say that they're better than Duke, or I'm not supposed to say that, but I will say that. I think that if Bridges ends up playing the four for them, he's playing the three right now, the small forward. I think he's a little out of position, but I think when they tighten that lineup in the actual tournament and they have Cassius Winston him, we obviously saw what Nick Ward did to us. I mean, he's a force on the inside. Michigan State's a scary team. And then there's just like a glut of teams that are kind of good, but I can see their flaws. Like Miami's a team that I really like. Newton, Brown, they got a bunch of guards. I mean, this this freshman they have, Lonnie Walker, the force. I mean, he's he's got a crazy hairdo, but he's got a great game. I mean, the guy can score pretty much in any other way that he needs to. Arizona is a team that I think a lot of people have started to write off just because of the Bahamas and what they did in Atlanta is going 0-3. But, I mean, they have all the talent in the world, and they didn't have Raleigh Hawkins. And we saw what they looked like without him. They just looked lost. I mean, but then you look at Alonzo Trier, who they have, as a National Player of the Year candidate, and then DeAndre Ayton, who, you know, a lot of people think might be the number one pick. And yeah, it's funny, Bill Walton even said that uh, Ayton was the best center he's seen in college basketball since Shaq. And then they pushed back on him. They're like, Bill. You know, you've only seen him play once. And he was like, yeah, and I decided that. So, yeah. uh, you know, those, those are probably the, the big three teams that I see just being the favorites of the teams that I would not want to see in the tournament. But I think a lot of people that have pegged Duke or Kansas or Kentucky, they're just putting them there because they are Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky. I mean, if you look at their rosters, they have huge holes in their rosters, especially Kansas. I mean, Kansas has no front line. I mean, I know that's kind of the knock on Carolina, too. But when you look at what Kansas is going through, I mean, they have Azabuki, they have one guy, and, you know, Carolina's got more depth than they do uh, on their front line. So, I don't know. I, I would say right now Carolina, in my mind, is a top-five team in the country where they sit. But my biggest fear for Carolina is to go against Michigan State again in the tournament or some other team with a formidable front line, and that, that probably will spell problems for them. Now, unfortunately for Carolina fans, Duke does have that formidable front line, so – I think it's going to come down in ACC play to Duke mm-hmm. or Carolina. But to shift gears a little bit and talk about the ACC standings, you brought up Miami, and they've had an incredible start to the season. So has Florida State. What's funny yep. is if you're looking at the overall records right now, only four teams in the entire ACC have more than three losses. So yeah. everyone else is like either 8-2, and 8-1, then you've got a couple of still undefeated teams. So when you're looking at the ACC this year, 
it looks like at least coming into when the game's really going to start picking up, it looks that the ACC is just super deep this year. Yeah, I, I I really don't think it's a question. I know I'm a little bit biased. People give me problems for being an ACC homer. But when you just go across the conference and you look down the line, I mean, Virginia Tech is a team that is a problem. You know, that's a team you don't want to face in the tournament if they're a 7 to 10 seed, you know. I think the, the, the biggest teams that will come down to actually who wins the regular season, I think it's going to be who you mentioned. I think it's going to be either Florida State or Miami. Those two teams will be in contention, and they – the Florida State game against Florida, I mean, Florida got all this love for how well they played against Duke and how how well they played in the PK-80, but, I mean, they basically just got punked by Florida State at home. Yeah, it yeah. was over at, like, the 12-minute mark of the first half. Absolutely, and it it was honestly one of the first times where I really checked myself, and, you know, I I thought that Florida State would be, you know, on the, on the verge of being a top 25 team, but nothing like that. That's the first time I was like, okay, you got to take them really seriously in the race for the ACC regular season. And that's, I think that's the difference between, like, in the ACC, I look at teams that could actually win the regular season and teams that would be scary to face in the tournament. So, like, teams that could win the regular season, I think you got Carolina, I think you got Duke, I think you got Miami, I think you have Florida State, and then I think you have Virginia, like, right there. That's probably your top five. And then if I'm playing in the tournament, if I'm actually dealing it, if I'm going to be a Duke fan and only care about the ACC tournament like they tend to do because that's <laughs> the only thing they can win, I would say, you know, Virginia's a team I would not want to play in the uh, ACC tournament. I think that they're a really sneaky team. I think this is the year because people have sort of, you know, come to the terms to the fact that Virginia is a team that's usually ranked high and doesn't do well in the tournament. And I think this year might be the year they can flip that around. And I really like how they've looked. I really like that combo of Guy and Jerome. I think it's great. Diakite has looked awesome. He's looked a lot better for them, like an actual contributor. And then they have Salt. I mean, that that's a front line that Carolina – I mean, they always have great games against Virginia, and especially going against that pack line defense. But I think Virginia is a really sneaky team in the ACC to kind of kind of shock some people. I don't know. For whatever reason, I, I may be wrong because I'm not in, you know, North Carolina right now. I'm in Los Angeles, unfortunately. But I haven't really heard much about Virginia for whatever reason this year as being a favorite for the ACC. But they're kind of my sneaky team that – I would not be shocked if, you know, Virginia wins, you know, only has two losses in conference play or something like that. Well, it really seems as if a lot of ACC teams are kind of flying under the radar, at least when you're talking about the national media, because, I mean, Syracuse mm-hmm. is 8-1, and one, and they're always yep. going to play tough, especially up in the Carrier Dome. Clemson, 8-1. and one. I haven't heard a peep about them at all, and maybe that's just because of their schedule, but still, I mean, you play who's on the court with you, and they've done really well this season. And then even, like you said, Florida State, I mean, yeah, they beat Florida, but they were 12th in the last rankings, or they still weren't in the top 10, I don't believe. Yeah, I think they were 13th, which is crazy. Because, I mean, that Florida win, I, I always judge wins by what the team is ranked when you actually beat them. Some people are like, well, we figured out they weren't that good, so it doesn't matter as much. It doesn't have as much weight. But in my opinion, whatever you play them at is what they were when you played them, whatever, whatever. You know, some people are weird about that. But, I mean, when Florida State did that to Florida, it shocked me. I couldn't believe it. I watched that whole game. And you mentioned Clemson. Clemson's another team that could sneak into the tournament and scare some people. I mean, I look at the ACC. I, I don't see how there's any world in which eight teams don't get into the tournament, seven or eight teams, just because of the talent level. And, obviously, all the non-conference records right now are pretty, you know, it's hard to nitpick. And Syracuse, I mean, their one loss is against Kansas. And when they played Kansas, Kansas was, what, number two in the country. So, you know, they were supposed to lose that game, and it's at a neutral site, so that's not really a bad loss for Syracuse. I don't know. Overall, the ACC, they've, they've done all they need to do. And the ACC Big Ten Challenge, I mean, as bad as the Big oh. Ten is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they still beat them 
you know, pretty badly. So um, yeah, people by, will remember that. Yeah, by day two, it was over with. Yeah, was, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the ACC and with the NCAA seeding and everything, I hope that this is one of those years where if the conference as a whole is not very good, like I think this is going to be a down year for the Big Ten. And you're going to have mm-hmm. some wonky teams there that, you know, are going to have more wins or losses. And I think a lot of the time what happens is it, they explain it as, oh, well, they're just beating up on each other. And I think in the <laughs> yeah. ACC, yeah, the teams are going to beat up on each other. But the difference is that these are quality teams going up against each other two or three times every week. I think yeah. you saw that with the Boston College team that we, we didn't even, you know, we haven't even brought up yet. I mean, that Boston College win at Duke is, you know, I mean, between Bowman and, you know, Jerome Robinson and even, you know, Chapman or whatever, uh, was it Tatum or Chapman? The three Chapman, of them, I, I mean, yeah. Those, yeah, the three of those guys, I mean, they all shot, I mean, then they shot like 52% from the field against Duke, and that was obviously a great game to watch. It was fun. It, it's always fun to watch Duke lose, let's admit it. But going up to Chestnut Hill, that's such a sneaky trap game. I mean, I think people forget, like in 09, Carolina started out 0-2 in the ACC because they go up, Tyrese Wright's, you know, well, they play at home. Tyrese Rice puts 46 on them, and then they go to Wake Forest and lose to the Jeff Teague. J- you know, James Johnson has an unbelievable game against them. Basically does what Blake Griffin tried to do against them in the tournament and just dominates on the post. And I don't know. I mean, th- there's going to be some games like that in the ACC that Carolina might get. Even playing, you know, in Winston-Salem might be a trap game because, you know, Wake Forest is a team that a lot of people have kind of written off and said they're not going to be so great, but I don't know. I still believe in Danny Manning. I think he's a really good coach. And I think Brandon Childress is a guy that's playing a lot better this year. People remember him, son of Randolph mm-hmm. Childress. And that could be a sneaky team that, you know, shocks some people and gets some upsets in the ACC. And I think that's what you're talking about. There's going to be some games like that where the national media is going to go, wait, Wake Forest beat North Carolina? Wow. That, you know, that really says something about Carolina when really it just says the ACC is, in my opinion, the, you know, premier conference in college basketball. Definitely agree there. We'll go ahead and start wrapping this one up then, Tate. We've talked about the ACC at length. What is the next best conference that you think, if I'm looking at it from the national perspective, what other conferences really do you think is going to be closest to the ACC in terms of depth and just having teams that can push deep come March? Yeah, I I think it's odd because I think most people will tell you it's the Big 12, and I would probably say it's the Big 12. I mean, if you look across the line, but... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out on a limb just because Kansas wins the Big 12 every year. I try to write them off because until some other team can win the Big 12, I don't want to talk about them. So if someone beats Kansas this year, I'll bring the Big 12 back into the conversation. But I'm actually gonna go way outside, and I'm gonna say the SEC. And uh, I say that, and I say that with you know trepidation because they have shown this before and really flopped on their face, but. I am a real big believer in what they have going, and it's not even about Kentucky. It's about teams like what Rick Barnes is doing at Tennessee. I think that road game for Carolina is going to be a really tough game. I really like what I saw from Florida. I mean, I know I've been talking junk about them losing to Florida State, but what they did in the PK-80, I mean, it does speak for itself a little bit. Texas A&M is a team. I mean, they lost to Arizona. Arizona is a very quality team. That was not a bad loss at all. They have a top-five pick on their team. I can see them being a real problem in the tournament. Kentucky is honestly – 
maybe the most overrated Kentucky team I've seen in quite some time. They've kind of stayed under the radar because Cal's smart about it. He doesn't want people to, you know, catch the scent. But Knox has been great. I know a lot of people know about Kevin Knox, but he's probably their best player by far. And then even like some teams like South Carolina, a team that made it the Final Four last year and lost some big-name guys, they still have Silva back, and they've shown some signs of maybe having some life. I don't know. There really is, in my opinion, not a team, not a conference that can compete with the ACC in basketball. And I know it's a little unfair because, you know, people will point to the fact that, you know, getting Syracuse, of course, you know, getting Louisville, of course. But I don't know. Syracuse and Louisville aren't really moving the meter this year. The ACC in general is just, in my opinion, heads and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, and I think it just speaks to the kind of landscape of college basketball where there's just a ton of really good teams. And I think the seedings come the NCAA tournament, it's going to be wild. So I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, you know, Joe Lunardi will come out with, you know, 50 million brackets. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that. But say, I wanted to say, man, thanks again for coming on here. For those who are listening, how can they follow you? I know we talked about at the very beginning your podcast with The Ringer, One Shining Pod, but go ahead and tell people how they can, you know, hear what you put out and I guess get you on, on social media. I'm on the Twitter sphere uh, on Twitter.com. Uh, it is not that hard to find me. It's at Tate Frazier, T A T E F R A Z I E R, like Clyde Frazier, like Joe Frazier. I also have One Shining Podcast. You can find that on iTunes. Subscribe, please review please and if you don't like it you know or like me or like my co my co-host is a big duke lover so i have no problem if you do not enjoy listening to him but i think he just does it to rip me deep down he's a carolina fan so yeah please go follow those and uh yeah i i appreciate you having me on i i always keep up with inside carolina greg barnes is the best in the business ben sherman best in the business and uh i appreciate you having me on jonathan no problem tate we'll try to do this uh, you know if we can maybe once or twice a month just depending on how schedules go and like I said, man, we'll look forward to it. And thanks for the perspective on kind of the national landscape on college basketball. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Reno don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.